please stand for the reading of God's Word. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all those people, into the land that I am giving them to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Chapter 3, 1 through 4. Then Joshua arose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to Jordan, and he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before the past before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officer went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of your Lord, God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out to the place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Chapter 4, verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up on, at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then shall, you shall let your children know, Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For your Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Please take a moment and meditate on God's word. You have your Bibles open there to the passages in Joshua. When we talk about Founders Day and we talk about what happened 12 years ago, it's, you know, it's hard to pick out events or pick out people because there's always hidden sacrifices that happen. 
to get a church to this point. Um, but I'm always particularly appreciative of my family and the sacrifices that they made. I, it's hard for us to picture it, Nancy and I particularly, but Zachary and Morgan were 8 and 10, and now they're 20 and 22. And so uh, we remember getting in our blue 1985 Honda, remember that? And we would pop the trunk, and they would just get whatever the toys they thought would go in the nursery. Um, and Nancy got our bread baskets that we used that still had crumbs in them, and those were the offering plates. And uh, Nancy served 12 consecutive weeks in the nursery. Imagine, you I mean you're on a rotation uh, once every quarter or something, but 12 weeks in a row. Um, and just, you know, the things that, you know, happen in a family that I want to say thank you all to, to making that happen. Um, it's not, I never just stand here by myself. It's them, it's, it's elders, it's people who really make the church happen. And I just have the privilege to stand for my family and for many of those folks as well. Well, 12 years ago, I began the sermon with this illustration, and I'd like to say that if you come to my garage, if you look in my toolbox, there's two things, a hammer and a cell phone. Meaning, if you call me for help, I can fix it if a hammer can fix your problem. But if you have a problem that a hammer cannot fix, then I should pick up the cell phone and call for help. Meaning, I have a Mr. Fix-It disability. I have a a limitation. There's, there's only so much I could do, and I should not. I should be banned from trying projects because it just creates me, it creates all kind of frustration, and then somebody comes in who can do it and say, you know, who tried this in the beginning? You know, it's like, ah, oh, some sorry contractor I had in here. You know, it was, but it was me. And, uh, but I, you know, occasionally you, you think, oh, how hard can it be? Isn't that like the kiss of death? Oh, how hard is this going to be? So I thought I could put up a fence in my yard. And it was going to be easy because it was only going to be one side. I wasn't going to have a gate. I wasn't going to try to turn a corner. And the other great thing is Lowe's was already building the fence for you, meaning they have an eight-foot panel that's already built. So all you have to do, I mean, this is about as simple as it could be, is sink these posts in the ground and just lean basically the fence up and tack it up. I thought, well, you know, anyone can do this which was a big mistake. But I sunk all these posts in and I cemented them. I had my plumb line, so my, my fence was at least going to be straight. And, and I went to grab that first, you know, eight-foot section and I, and I propped it up. I had little uh, wood pegs that I kind of put it up on to get it set. And I, and I tacked up the ends to make sure they were all set. And when I measured it, when I measured it, I was only a quarter of an inch off. And I was like, awesome, a quarter, I could have never hoped to get this close, a quarter of an inch. This is great. And I was in my backyard at Fox Run Farms just going, yes, I was having a charismatic renewal right there in my backyard. Because I thought, it's no big deal. Nobody's going to notice a quarter of an inch. I can't even notice it if I don't measure it myself. So I put that panel up, and I got the next panel, and I put it up. And, of course, when I started on this post with this panel that already was up, it was a quarter of an inch off. And so I kind of put it up there, but then I noticed I had to raise this side up even just a little bit more. And so I tacked it up, and then I realized I'm three inches off now. My fence is starting to go higher here. 
and three inches you start to notice. And then I did a quick calculation. If I've got to put up six more panels, if I did my calculations right, my fence was going to be 30 feet in the air by the time I got to the last panel. So I I think people are going to notice if my fence is 30 feet in the air. And so what I realized at that point is a quarter of an inch off in the foundation can mean way off in the end. And I use that illustration and I come back to that illustration time and again because isn't it so appropriate for us as a church? It's appropriate for you as a family. It's appropriate for you as a, as a person. You, you make some little... I guess nobody's going to notice. It's, it's really not that big of a deal that I do this thing. I'm, it's just a quarter of an inch off. Who could even really see it? But a year goes by, ten years go by, and you allow a quarter of an inch in your business. You, you allow a quarter of an inch in your, your own personal development. You, you allow a quarter of an inch in, in your marriage. You allow a quarter of an inch with your family or in a church. Ten years later, twenty years later... You're 30 feet off, and now everybody goes, what in the world were they thinking? And so when, when we come back to the same text and the same illustration, there, there's a real purpose for reminding ourselves every year is to say, this is, this is what we want to be about. This is what we want to do. And I'll never forget after the very first uh, Founders Day sermon, uh, a lot of people came up and said, oh, that was great, great. Well, Kenny Smith, who sits there and always sits in the back left-hand corner, he came up to me and uh, he, he, he was coming at the time, but he, was, he wasn't a founding member. They were still trying to figure this whole thing out. And he came up and he was like, hey, that sounded great. I just hope you can do it in 10 years. And I thought, okay, you're not a member yet. I don't know if that's a little snarky. I mean, I'm not sure. There's... And so I think I called him and said, hey, some other good churches here in town. Here's some. But, but I, he was saying really what was on my heart was, this is true. This is what we want to do. But it's a lot. It's very easy to say, hard do. I mean, you can say it, but to accomplish it, to say, hey, this is what we're primarily focused on. It doesn't mean we're not going to have stuff that we didn't have 12 years ago. It just means that our primary mission is always going to be on this point. Really pointing towards Christ, using the word as our sure guide to get us there. Trusting in the grace and mercy of God, proclaiming the gospel. Yes, that's what we want to do, but can we do it? Or would we say, well, we're just a little off, and then over time, maybe even none of us are here, but now the church is something totally different. And so we want to, and maybe specifically I want to, while I'm on watch as the shepherd here or one of the shepherds, to remind us to say, let's not get a quarter of an inch off. Let's keep that same line so that the next generation who sort of tacks in behind us is starting straight at least. That's the the best that we can hope for. That particular sermon uh, had three points, and those are the points that I'm going to use again today. First, three foundational points, three parts of this foundation that we thought were most important. All taken from Joshua, God's chosen leadership, God's word, and courage. Those are the three main points that I made then and have made since. And I want to say again today, let's look at those in turn. God's chosen leadership. 
Now, God can operate in any way he wants to. He doesn't have any particular limitation, but there are certain ways that he seems to operate most effectively. Or or maybe there's primary ways in the biblical and historical pattern that God uses. And one of those is godly leadership. You see it right in the very beginning of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are both created in the image of God. They're uniquely made above all of things in creation. But we see God specifically assigning leadership to Adam. He gives a specific role for leadership to Adam. Adam, you're the leader. You're you're the guy that's supposed to be protecting your wife first and then creation. You're the one that's supposed to stand there in the gap. And if I'm not there, so to speak, you're my partner. And we know it because when Adam and Eve sinned and they begin to hide from each other, Then they hide from God and God comes back walking in the garden. Remember in the cool of the day? And what does he say? Adam. Adam, where are you? I mean, why does it say, hey, you all. Y'all, if you're in the south, you guys, if you're in the north. Where, Where are you, Adam? No, he says, Adam, in other words, one of the greatest failures in the garden was a failure of leadership. Adam didn't take his role seriously enough. He didn't see that he was the protector. And so God establishes this leadership pattern in the garden. And even after the fall, it continues on. And so if you read through the Old Testament and you see Deborah or Daniel, or you read in the New Testament and you see Peter or Priscilla, or you read in church history and you read about William Carey or Amy Carmichael, all of these people are taking their stand at some particular point, at some place, at some critical juncture of church history. History, and they're they're moving people forward towards God. Ravi Zacharias makes this observation about godly leadership when he says there are no bona fide mass movements. There are no bona fide mass movements. It just looks that way. Instead, at the center of the column is a man or a woman who knows their God and where their God is going. There's no abstract movement moving ahead. There are individuals who are moving ahead, and therefore the cause of Christ is going forward. So so why is this important for us to constantly remember a Christ community church? That That we have this godly leadership. And one of the reasons is because of the sermon, which if you were here last week, of Psalm 90. The Sermon of Moses. Remember the main text there? Teach us to number our days. See, Moses saying it goes by so quickly. It's just like a flood and and just a whole new group are are washed in and some group washed out. It's just like the sun. It goes up, but then it comes down. It's like the grass that pops up, but then it dies off at the end of the day. That humanity is so quickly here and then gone. And so I've been here for 12 years now. And I don't know if it's going to be another 12 or another one, or, but at some point, it'll be my last Sunday here. And I'll say goodbye and I'll walk out. And it's really critical for you all, especially the, the leaders of the church, to put a man of God at the center. of This is the center column here for Christ Community Church. Someone who knows God, who knows the gospel, who knows where God is going, is willing to look towards God first. So that's why that's critical. 
Now, we see a couple of characteristics here in Joshua. First, in chapter 1, you see it in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Joshua. What, one of the primary leadership characteristics that we have to have, to have for this person at the center of the column is that they're primarily, primarily concerned about and listening to God and leading from His Word. The, the, the leader's relationship to God must, become, must be before his relationship to the congregation. It's critical that this person's relationship with God is more important than his relationship with the congregation. That's a critical component of leadership. That Here's somebody who's listening to, who's understanding the Word of God, who's unpacking the Word of God, who's listening to what God has to say, and then comes here on Sunday morning and opens up the Word of God to say, listen to what God has said. Not to what I picked up on the Internet or after several conversations with you all in the, in the, in the lobby. No, this, we want somebody listening to the Lord and saying, thus saith the Lord. That's what people are hungry for. That's what people must have week after week. So we, we don't want a leader who's following the mood of the congregation. We don't want a leader who's following the mood of the culture. We don't want a leader following their own mood. We want somebody following the mood of the text to say, what is it that God's about here and how can that help us as we move forward to him? You might remember in Exodus chapter 33, after the, um, the golden calf, Moses goes back and speaks with God. And God says something that's very fascinating to me. He says, uh, Moses, leave this place and go to the land that, I'm pro- that I've promised. In other words, I've promised you that you're going to get these people to the promised land. And even though they have failed miserably by worshiping another God, even in the midst of their salvation, I'm still going to get you there. So I want you to leave and I want you to take these people to the promised land. That number one. Number two, I'm going to send an angel ahead of you to drive out all of your enemies. Wow, I mean, this is pretty gracious. First of all, he's not just sending us back to Egypt. He's actually going to get us to the promised land. He's not just telling us to go. He's going to send an angel and the angel is going to fight for us. And I'm going to send you into this land that's flowing with milk and honey. What? I mean, incredible grace. Still get the promised land. Still get somebody so powerful to fight on your behalf. And then you end up with a land flowing of milk and honey. And then he says, but I'm not going to go with you. Now, if you got to heaven and you got everything you could possibly want, except God, is that okay? See, it might be for some people, but not for Moses. See, Moses knows something that Jesus says later. You can gain the whole world and still what? Still have nothing. So Moses says, Lord, if you're not going to go with us, we're not going anywhere. Why? Because you're our home. You're our dwelling. You you are the end. You are our promised land. If if we get everything else, if we get all of your promises and none of you, they're not worth anything. 
You're the thing that has value. You're the thing that has worth. What, a, what an incredible leadership moment for Moses here. And so M- Moses isn't going to get distracted by the world. He's not going to get distracted by novelty. He's not going to be distracted by popularity. Several years ago, there was a um, television show that was going to be produced. It was going to be a reality television show. Now, if there was ever an oxymoron, it's reality television. I mean, I was, I was watching some reality television show for a few moments. I don't even know what it was. And the person was in their room with their friend or whatever. And they were like, I don't want anyone to know about this. And I was like... What about the camera crew? What about the people watching? I mean, I was like, did you not understand? And I was like, okay, I'm not checking the IQ of the people on these shows. But the, somebody wanted to come up with this show. It was called Pulpit Masters. Pulpit Masters. Here was the little tagline, the ad line. You could be America's next inspired leader to make a positive difference in millions of people's lives. Are you imbued... Now, most people don't even know what that word means, but I guess they think pastors do. Are you imbued with a fire and passion of God's word? Do you understand the power of the spoken word? We're looking for someone who can wow the pants off an audience. And then you get three minutes to give your shot, best shot. We're, we're not trying to wow the pants off of anyone here. You keep your pants on. Why? You're not the main audience. You're not the main person on the stage. You're not the focus of my attention. You're not the focus of each other's attention. We have one audience. That's God Almighty. He is holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. There is no comparison to Him. And everything must point towards Him. He is our foundation. And as soon as we get off of that by novelty or popularity or mood or personality, then we're a quarter of an inch off and soon we'll be miles away from the gospel. So we have to have somebody who, who's moving in that direction and has those kinds of leadership characteristics. The second characteristic we see here from Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 is the leader must be a servant. Moses in this, these opening verses is called a servant three times. Moses, my servant. And now Joshua is going to step into this role. He's going to be the servant. In the New Testament, the word leader is used less than ten times. But the word servant is used more than 1,000 times. Probably my favorite illustration of this, so use time and again, is the, the statue that you can see of John Wesley that's in London. Wesley was this great preacher, started the Methodist Church. He and his brother Charles, Charles a great hymn writer. Wesley, Charles Wesley, or, or John Wesley, was five foot two. And over the course of his life, he preached over 40,000 sermons. When, his, when he was 83, he got angry with his doctor because the doctor wouldn't let him preach more than 14 times during a week. At 86, he wrote this in his journal. Laziness is slowly creeping in. There's an increasing tendency to stay in bed after 5.30 in the morning. 
I mean, he's with the K&W crowd. They're up early. They're there. They're ready to roll at 5 o'clock. And this is John Wesley. He's 86 years old. He's still plowing forward. He's still moving forward. And in his statue are, all, are these words. Reader, if you feel constrained to praise the instrument, don't give God the glory. <laughs> Isn't it so easy? Don't you find a, a desire to praise the instrument? I find that in myself all the time. Oh, creation is so, it's an instrument. Creation is meant to what? Declare the glory of God. It's not meant to say it's glorious. It's more to point to something that's glorious. When you find a speaker that you like, when you find a preacher, you want to say, oh, he's got it down. They've got the message. They're the one that I can. They're. And it's just so easy for your heart to move towards the instrument. And Wesley reminds us of that. And the Bible reminds us of that, that we need a leader who understands the difference between being a leader and a servant. And, of course, Christ is the greatest example, is he not? I have come not to be served, but to serve and give my life. Second point. First is God's chosen leadership. Second is God's word. When you build a fence or you're trying to build anything straight, yeah, you drop down what's called a plumb line. A lot of times it's like a chalk line. You have this long piece of string that when it comes out, it gets covered with blue chalk a lot of times. And you, 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 you attach it to some nail head or someplace here, and then you go over here and you attach it. You make sure it's straight, and then you sort of snap the line and you get a nice straight line. So whether you're doing something with tile or whether you're doing a fence or anything that you're trying to do, you're always going to come back because your vision isn't going to be perfect, but the line is always going to tell you if you're straight. And so I dropped this plumb line down for my fence. And the plumb line is, is the place that we're measuring whether we're straight or not. And that's what the Word of God is. You might have heard the Word of God referred to as the canon. The canon of Scripture. And that word means straight or measuring rod. It's, it's what we put our bent lives and our bent world up against to say, where are we missing it? Where are we not Straight with what God wants us to do. It's the one fixed point. And in our text, in Joshua here, God gives a verbal exhortation to follow after his word. And then he gives a visual exhortation about his word. First, the verbal exhortation. Verses 7 and 8 in chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to do everything written in it. Don't turn from it to the right or the left. The word shall not depart your, from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. I mean, here, here this great commander is standing here before the Lord. And the Lord is saying, Joshua, you're, you're about to enter into the world. You're about to enter into the promised land. And there's all kinds of, of enemies out here, all kinds of dangers, all kinds of distractions that the world might throw at you. And when the world throws these distractions at you, what you have to remember is the word. You have to have the word of God. You ca you've got to remember, you've got to remember it. It's got to be in your heart. It's got to be buried there so you don't turn to the right or left. You don't get a, a quarter of an inch off somewhere. If you're learning to fly a plane. The first thing you get in your uh, pilot's license is you get what's called a visual rating. So you're learning to fly a plane and you get a visual rating, meaning you can go up and fly today because you can fly by the topography. You can fly by what you see. 
You can see where you're going because it's a cloudless day. And it's called a visual rating. So if it was foggy or cloudy and I only have a visual rating, I can't go up and fly my plane. But if you want to keep flying, even through bad weather or fog, then you have to get what's called an instrument rating. So you're no longer flying your plane by what you see on the ground. You're flying your plane by the instruments. Because you can get in the fog and not know which way you're going. Because you can no longer see the ground. And pilots who haven't flown according to the instruments sometimes come out of fog or come out of, of a cloud flying upside down thinking they were right side up. And then when they see the ground, they go, oh, well, I've been flying upside down for the last several miles. And I didn't know it. Some pilots have flown into the ground thinking they were flying straight. Because they didn't trust their instruments. They, they trusted their instincts. They trusted their emotions. And so when you get that, you have to say, I, I, have, I have a feeling that I'm going straight, but I'm not sure, so I'm going to trust my instruments. I'm going to keep looking at my instruments so I'm not flying upside down, so I'm not driving myself into the ground. And one pilot instructor said the toughest part of earning an instrument rating is for the pilot to have unquestioning faith in the instruments. You have to have unquestioning faith in the Word of God. In 12 years, or over the course of 12 years, Christ Community Church is a church, you as an individual, we've all flown into fog banks. I know you have. I know we have. And you just go, you know, what I thought was right, I don't know anymore. I don't know if I'm upside down. I don't know if I'm driving into the ground. I don't know anything now. I mean, in this fog, I don't have any orientation. And we have to have somebody who's going to constantly bring us back to the instrument panel. To say, when you can't trust your emotions, when you can't trust your sensations, you can always trust the Word of God. You can constantly be looking at that instrument panel and trusting that no matter what else happens. So Joshua is given this verbal, and then he's given this visual exhortation to keep according to the Word. Chapter 3 of Joshua. When, when the Ark of the Covenant is moving out ahead of the people, the Ark of the Covenant has the Word of God in it, these tablets of stone. And notice that God says, don't come near it. You, you want to keep a, a thousand yards between you and the next nearest person. A thousand yards. I mean, why, why, so, why so far? Well, we don't want to get anybody confused with the way God's going to the way you're going. So if I get up too close to the ark, it might look like I'm moving in a direction. No, we want to make sure we just know God's moving in a direction. But the, the main point he makes here is you don't know where you're going. See, you never passed this way before. You're going to go into this fog bank pretty soon and you don't know where you're going. So I want to make sure my word, myself, I'm way out in front. And there's no confusion. I love the answer. You don't know where you're going because you haven't been this way before. And when we started the church, I had no idea which way I was going and so many times. And I'm certain over the next 12 years, we're going to run into things and go, you know, 
I don't know. I know you're going to run into those things. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So we don't want to do what seems right. When you come to me for counseling, you don't want me to say, it seems right to me. You want somebody proclaiming the instrument panel. Here's what God has to say. This is the direction we're going to take because this is the godly direction. Finally, we see this third point. We have God's leadership, God's word. This third critical point, courage. It takes courage to move forward. Be strong and courageous. It's said three times. I mean, here's the, maybe the greatest general of all time. And God has to come to him and say, be strong and courageous. So there must be something that might throw Joshua off. And I would say there's at least a couple of things. One is fear. Don't be afraid. See, fear is a, a paralyzing emotion. Causes you not to move forward or causes you to move in some direction that would be harmful to you. And so God knows that and he's saying, I want you to be strong and courageous. I don't want you to be fearful. See, Joshua was one of the 12 spies. Remember the story? 12 spies go in and look look at the land and they come back to give a report to God's people. So you have all the congregation here and they're all gathered together. And these 12 guys, these real sort of strong alpha male guys are all standing up there and they're saying, yeah, yeah, we went into the promised land. And 10 of them say, remember what they say? They're giants. We look like grasshoppers. Except for Joshua and Caleb. And they say, it's true what they say, but we're not looking at the giants in the land. We're looking at the Lord. And the Lord said, go, so we're going to go. And God is bigger than any giants that we're going to face. So we're trusting. But the people of God, the, the people that God had chosen, they all said, let's go with the ten and not with the two. So now here, Joshua, he's going to get him across the promised land. It's 40 years later, but he's going to bring him across. And God's saying, don't be afraid. I mean, he might have still had these ten voices in his head. He still might have had some hesitations. He might have thought, well, I thought Moses was going to be with me. There could have been all kinds of reasons that would lock him up. And for you, there could be all kinds of reasons to not have courage, to not step forward and trust in God's word. The second reason Joshua could have been afraid was not from the people he was going to face, but the people he was bringing I mean, Joshua came down the mountain with Moses and saw the golden calf. Joshua saw that people in uh, of, of God's people tried to steal things, including Moses' own leadership. So Joshua understood that he wasn't only going to be taking arrows from the front, he was going to be taking arrows from behind. He might have been as afraid of the people uh, behind him as he were, was, were and the people in front of him. And so Joshua has all kinds of reasons to be afraid. And one way to remember to not be afraid is to have some kind of marker. To remember, hey, God was my helper here. And so they cross the River Jordan 
and these 12 tribes, these 12 sons of Jacob, they go back. Remember what they do? They pick up a stone and they build a marker. It's called an Ebenezer. So we'll sing in a few moments. Come thou fountain. Here I raise my Ebenezer. It's a it's a stone of it's called a stone of help. It's a marker to remember that when you pass this way or other people, your children come back and say, well, why are these 12 stones built in this particular place? You can say, because God Almighty is our God and he is with us and he is here to help us because you forget you forget. And then when you forget, you get afraid. And so you have to have markers in your life to say, I know God was working in that particular place. And even though I don't feel it now, I'm trusting in what he's done in the past. So God's chosen leadership, God's word and courage. Those were the three things that I mentioned as part of what makes up a good foundation for a church. And like I said, one day I won't preach this sermon anymore. Somebody else will pick it up and move in a in somewhat slightly different direction because of their own leadership skills. But we're hoping always a Godward direction. Because they they know their God, they're the center of the column, they're moving forward with God's word. It's powerful illustration. This is in the importance of having somebody at the center of the column. We should not leave without knowing who's really at the center of the column. It won't ever be me. It won't ever be somebody who's standing behind a pulpit. Because who is the real servant leader that leads people out of slavery into the promised land? It's not Joshua. It's Jesus. Who is the word that became flesh? Who is the one who helps people who are flying their lives upside down or into the ground to say, no, this is the way to write write yourself? And what does he provide? He provides his word, which is himself. And what's the, the final Ebenezer? What's the final marker? What's the final place that you'd say, God is our help. He will be here. He will bring us all the way home. The cross. It stands there to remind you and as your children pass by to say, why do you have this hope? Well, we have this hope because of Christ. Today is a great day for so many reasons. Such a great day to come and have communion because we're we're a community. We're not just a, a group of individuals. We're a community trying to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, to point each other towards the cross And so as we come up and we think about uh, being together with Christ, my hope is you come up with joy. I mean, I think he planted us with joy 12 years ago. He wants us to enjoy him and he rejoices in our existence. And then I would ask you to just to look around as people walk by, walk up, walk around, just say, these are the people. These are the people God has given me to, to walk in this life with me and pray for them, rejoice with them.